Hey, this is Pastor Steve Berger with This Is That, where we bring biblical clarity to cultural chaos. We want to thank you for listening today. And remember, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel or to this podcast so you don't miss another episode. God bless you. We pray that this is a blessing for you today. So if you've listened to me over the last few years, uh, I've never really done much uh, expounding or expanding on the phrase, America and the church today is much like 1930s Germany. I've said that multiple times over the last few years and never really unpacked it. Well, I am so happy today to be able to recommend an incredible resource for you. Like this is a must read. There's been plenty of times in the past where I've said, hey, this would be a great book or this is a great book and there's plenty of great books out there. But I don't say this is a must read very often. This book is a must read. You need to get Eric Metaxas' new book, A Letter to the American Church. Eric Metaxas' new book, A Letter to the American Church. Because in this book, what Eric has done a masterful job of doing is painting the picture for us. He helps us connect the dots to see what 1930s Germany was like and how the church in America is like today. And by connecting those dots, hopefully, dear God, please, hopefully we'll see what mistakes are currently being made. We can make them right and we can see God do something in this nation rather than judging it like he judged in 1940s Germany um, we would pray that God would have mercy on America, hear our cry as we turn from our wicked ways, and that he would hear from heaven, forgive our sin, and heal our land. Get, Amer- uh, get uh, Eric Metaxas' new book, A Letter to the American Church. It's a must read. I'm just going to give you four quick things today to talk to you about um, mistakes that are made today and, and even mistakes to some degree that were made in 1930s Germany that contributed to World War II and then ultimately the judgment of Germany that happened as a result of the Allied forces coming in and really just kind of destroying the country. So um, the other thing I need to say by way of just quick introduction here is these four things I'm gonna give you today there's there's overlap here, and I recognize that. And um, uh, in Eric's book, he he did a good job of really spending an entire chapter or two on each one of these things. But I just want to throw them out to you and and, and help you get a perspective, kind of prepare you uh, to read the book itself. But uh, four different areas that do indeed overlap. Uh, mistakes that are being made in the American church today. Okay, so let's check this out. Uh, The first thing is this misunderstanding of what faith really is. Now, in 1930s Germany, uh, obviously being a a Lutheran uh, um, state church in existence, um, Luther and the Protestant Reformation that happened in the 1500s, Luther totally rebelled from the Catholic Church He had the revelation, right, that the just shall live by faith and that it was about faith and not works like like Catholicism was um, um, presenting to the people. 
Catholicism, hey man, you gotta be good, you gotta do this, you gotta do that, you gotta do that, and hopefully your good works will outweigh your bad, and you'll ultimately be saved by your works. Luther gets a revelation, it's not about works. The scripture says the just shall live by faith, and it's by faith through grace, right? That we, that we actually encounter salvation, the scripture tells us repeatedly. So this issue of faith, when Luther comes on the scene and totally turns it upside down from what it was, actually kind of right side up, he took it to an extreme that then got perverted itself. And so the German church um, after the 1500s and all the way into the 1900s, really celebrated this issue that, you know what? It's only by faith that I'm gonna be saved and works really don't matter. And so I don't really need to engage that much. I just need to put my faith solely in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And that's how I'm going to uh, be able to enter into heaven uh, later and experience abundant life in Christ now. So Luther overreacted. And for about 400 years then, the, the, the church in Germany overreacted as well, so much so, and this is where it's important, that when it became time for them to act and to, and to work and to move against what Hitler was doing and what the government was doing, they had, they had been so conditioned, even brainwashed, if you will, they had been so brainwashed that works didn't matter and their response to what was happening in society didn't really matter, so conditioned by it that the vast majority of them just laid down and let Hitler and all of his wickedness, the Third Reich, the brown shirts, everybody, do what they did that caused, I mean, demonic world mayhem because the church was, by and large, silent. There were 3,000 pastors, that's it, in the whole country that publicly signed the document and said, we stand against Hitler, we stand against the, the traditional uh, Lutheran um, state church, we wanna be known as the confessing church, only 3,000 in the whole country. Another 3,000 signed up with Hitler as, as the official state church. But listen to this, y'all, 12,000 were just kind of the silent middle. They were neutral. I don't want to give away too much of this, but I do want to encourage you and exhort you with this. Eric does such a fine job in the book painting the picture that if those 12,000 neutral pastors who didn't really take a side one way or the other, if those 12,000 pastors would have joined with the other 3,000 that were standing against Hitler, we would have had 15,000 pastors and their churches standing against Hitler's Germany. And Eric's opinion is Hitler never would have stayed in power. World War II never would have happened and the Jews never would have been slaughtered. Six million lives would have been saved if the church would have just been the church. If the church wouldn't have a perverted version of what faith is. If they would have realized what James said in James 2.26, that faith without works is dead. You have to, what did James say? You show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. Faith has to have an expression 
that engages and challenges culture and society. There's got to be action behind it. Well, the German church in Hitler's time, 1930s, 1940s Germany, missed it completely. And it led to a world war where six million Jews were slaughtered. So let's make sure our, our perspective of faith in the day that we're living is correct. Follower of Jesus, this isn't ju you just about having faith and getting yourself saved. This is about you having a faith that is ready to actively engage in the evil onslaught that is trying to overtake the United States of America. Next, number two, this issue of evangelism. And again, I have to be real careful here because I could get worked up about this big time. One, when we start to think that this is just all about evangelism and this isn't about engaging culture and it's not standing for the country and it's not, you know, uh, righteousness uh, in, our, in our nation. When we, when we lose sight of that, we think, oh no, this is just about evangelism and oh, I just want to preach the gospel. And then what happens is, well, we don't want to talk about these particular cultural social issues because that'll turn people off and then they won't want to listen to the gospel. Well, friend, pastor, leader, listen to me. If you're not willing to preach the whole gospel, which is addressing sin and repentance, what message are you preaching? You're, you're not even giving yourself the, uh, the permission to fully preach and to biblically evangelize a lost world. If you're not willing to talk about and address these issues, your idea of evangelism isn't Jesus' idea of evangelism at all. What was Jesus' message? The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And what did he do? He spent his lifetime going about living and preaching about the kingdom of God and confronting sin in people's lives. And yes, of course he did it with love. Of course the disciples did it with love, but they called people out. I think of, of Paul in, in Acts 17, where he's talking about Marcel. What does he say? God has overlooked these times of ignorance in the past, but now commands all men everywhere to repent so that they could be saved, right? Listen, friends, in our so-called commitment to evangelism, if we're not willing to challenge the heinousness of, of cultural sin today, if we're preaching some watered-down Jesus light, just add Jesus to your life instead of repenting from your sin and falling on the mercy of God, if your idea of evangelism is anything but repentance from sin, and the receiving of Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, not just your Savior, but your Lord, and you're, you're submitting your life to him. If your idea of evangelism is anything other than that, you are making a mistake, pastor, leader, church member. You're making a mistake, and dare I say, you're actually contributing to the lukewarm message that's producing a so-called convert in the United States of America today. It is time that we give ourselves to evangelism that is biblical in nature, that helps people know they've broken God's law. Their only hope is to repent from their sin and ask Jesus to be merciful to them, to forgive them for all of eternity. So let's make sure we don't cheapen what evangelism really is by backpedaling from social issues. All right, number three, and this kind of, again, I told you it overlaps and it does. 
you'll hear people say things like, well, we can't be political. We can't be political. And I, you know, I wanna, I'm not sure if I wanna laugh or cry, but don't be political. What, what does that mean? That means that you want to create a godless vacuum that the devil is happy to fill because the church retreats from government. Remember, government is God's invention. The government shall rest upon Jesus' shoulders. Government is God's idea so that mankind can try to rightfully and righteously manage itself. What do you mean don't be political? What do you mean don't be engaged with government leaders? Because the church has pulled away from politics, we've created a vacuum that the devil was happy to fill. And now we've got people, not all of them, but too many people that are causing our government to be more godless and more corrupt all the time. And we've got Christians sitting at home doing nothing, watching it happen, not caring, not praying for our government leaders, 1 Timothy 2, that we might lead quiet and peaceful lives because we don't want anybody to say of us, oh, that person's being political. Friends, taking on the issues of the day, getting involved in politicians' lives, that's not being political, that's being spiritual, that's being biblical. We've gotta to return to that and rescue this nation from the hands of godless politicians that we've backed away from because we thought, oh, that's kind of their area over there, but the church is our area over here. No, we are to be salt and light. We are to infect and engage every bit of society and culture. Don't be too political. I think about Joseph. You think the children of Israel were glad that Joseph wasn't getting too political as he stood in Pharaoh's court and became the number two man in all of Egypt, positioned in his place in government so that he could save his entire family, those 70 people who ended up becoming the nation of Israel? Aren't you glad that Joseph didn't say, oh, I can't be political, I can't be in, in Pharaoh's household? Think about it, man. If we would get engaged, who knows? Uh, an entire nation might be saved, just like the nation of Israel was. You think about Daniel. Five different, five different kings, five different political leaders he advised and spoke to and spoke the word of God to. Aren't you glad Daniel didn't fall for the lie of you can't be political as a Christian leader. The examples go on and on. Nehemiah, John the Baptist, good night. John the Baptist, talk about speaking truth to power. John the Baptist, let Herod have it. Let Herod's wife have it. Call them out for their sin publicly, letting them know that they were living in sin and, and leading people in a wrong way and giving a bad uh, um, a bad, they were being bad role models for the people. It was horrible. John the Baptist called him out. He didn't think he was being too political. In fact, Jesus said John was the greatest man who ever lived prior to the kingdom of God showing up. Jesus affirmed what John did. Now, it cost him his head, and I'm afraid that that's why people today are afraid to get involved and get engaged because of what it'll cost them. Man, we need some courage. We need some people that are ready to show up, speak up, and let God's kingdom come through us, through our words and through our actions. Anyway, the list goes on and on. This lie of not being too political from Genesis to Revelation, you see 
the people of God being engaged in politics. Listen, not that politics are our hope. Don't ever accuse me of that. Don't ever accuse me of saying, well, Steve's gotten political and he thinks that, that politics are our hope. Listen, I've said for over a decade, even to my own, you know, kind of uh, personal or professional um, um, attacks, I've said these words. I've said, listen, our hope isn't in the GOP. Our hope is in G-O-D. Our hope is in God, not politics. Our hope is in God, but politics are our responsibility. And so that's what we've got to do is, man, we've got to show up and get engaged and get involved, realizing that our ultimate hope is from God. But politics and government is our responsibility to see it happen in a godly way. All right, number four, finally, um, there's this idea that, you know, we just need to leave everything else alone. Kind of this don't judge me mindset where I just have to deal with my own sin and my own sanctification. I've just got to clean my own life up and who am I to speak into anything or anyone else? Listen to me, friend. You absolutely do need to be concerned about your own sin and sanctification, just like I do. We have to be people that come and confess our sin. We need to grow in holiness and we need to watch the Spirit of God transform us and deliver us from the lusts of the flesh. But where in your Bible does it ever teach you to be so selfish and so self-focused that you let people around you go to hell because you're only interested in getting your own life together? If you're thinking that you don't have the right to speak to the culture, to society, or to the person at work because your own life isn't perfect, listen, none of our lives are ever going to be perfect. It doesn't keep us from being able to show up and speak up to a country and to a society that desperately needs to hear the truth spoken to them in love, okay? So if you're waiting to get perfect before you share the truth of God's word, you're never gonna share God's word because you're never gonna be perfect in and of yourself. I do wanna encourage you with this. Ephesians 1, 3, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And part of that is he goes on and says in Ephesians 1, we're blameless, we're holy, we're innocent before God. We're perfect before him in Christ. He sees us through the finished work of Jesus. And so in that sense, you are perfect. So open your mouth, make much of Jesus, share your faith. Let's see God's kingdom move powerfully through the church. Yes, even unto the saving and the affecting of our nation for Jesus' sake, for his glory, and for the future generations to come. God bless you mightily. We look forward to seeing you next time. Let's not be 1930s or 40s Germany. Let's be a 2020s America that has repented and returned to God and is trusting Jesus to make us great moving into the future. God bless you all. We'll see you guys soon.